We're back! Whoa! <laughs> Welcome back, Dreadfuls. <laughs> You're listening to another <laughs> very delayed episode of Left for Dread, the horror podcast for everyone from newbies to fanatics. We're not a spoiler-free podcast in case you forgot, so make sure you've seen the movie or movies we're talking about before you listen. That's right. Do the right thing. Pause it. Pause the film pause right that. now. <laughs> well, pause, <laughs> no, pause the show right now. Watch, watch the movie, then come back. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I am one of your horrific hosts, Ryan. Oh, are we doing a new a new intro? And I'm your other horrific host, Chris. I just did that on the spot, but we could keep it. <laughs> it's all it's all so it's all going it's all staying in and we're coming in with this wild energy because we haven't podcasted in a while. Life life really happened. Uh well life li- life life has been happening like for the past two three years and by life we mean pandemic in case you've been living under a rock yes which you have yes for the uh, for for people who are listening to this like five years from now or 10 years from now and not sure what what we're talking about yes pandemic times but uh also some major life updates chris is no longer within spinning distance to me i yeah you know before you know i i not that you were before. <laughs> well, over the range of our podcast, you know, it, it would come up every now and then where I would give a, a life announcement of how I was moving closer north to New York City. Yeah. And, and, and the plan was to all live in the Big Apple. But then I threw a wrench in that and I'm now recording from New Mexico. So, yay. <laughs> I ruined everything. And yes, if you're wondering, I was very sad. <laughs> I know. I'm very sad. Um, you know, it, it was bittersweet. But that is I not got, the topic. Yeah. Oh, sorry? I was going to say, I was. it was bittersweet. But I'm yeah. super happy for Chris because he's very happy. I'm not, I mean, I'm not trying to speak for him, but I know he's really happy at his current job. <laughs> I, it's it's a, a ton of work, but... Everything's exciting and new and great, and coworkers are great, so having a good time. But, uh, you know, as we're all getting adjusted to this post-pandemic life, to, like, new life changes, new milestones, new achievements, uh, Ryan and I just really missed podcasting. And I think uh, because Friday the 13th is coming really, really soon, about, like, a week from now from when we're recording this when this episode will be released <laughs> yes um <laughs> uh, yeah so like uh we wanted to and, and friday the 13th being one of the greatest horror movies and one of the most popular film franchises in the genre we wanted to do it and here's my first hot take right i'm going in hot oh my god he's going he's really going in hot today okay yeah yes so we are recording on Mother's Day, and I want to say that Friday the 13th is one of the, I think it's the best. Mother's Day movie? Yes. Killer mommy. I mean, I, I don't think I've seen a lot of Mother's Day movies. I mean, we, we we did a couple, well, we did Mother like two years ago, three years ago. No, we did the movie Mother's Day oh. a couple years ago. Oh, by okay. Bowsman. That was our first, that, okay, 
Real talk, that was our very first episode. Was it really? Ah, amazing. It all comes full circle. But yes, I just want to say Friday the 13th is the best Mother's Day movie out there. And that's that's my hot take. I don't know if it's a hot take, but I, I, I just want to put that out on the airways because we're recording on Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to everyone. Happy Mother's Day, Mrs. Voorhees. Mrs. Voorhees and oh, uh, the, the mother, the oh, the mother from Psycho, or uh, Mrs. Bates, or yeah, I don't oh, know. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. Let's let's go with that. I'm let's tired. Let's go with that. Uh, but uh, right before, I, I guess so. Before we just dive into it, because time is precious, and we got we got a lot to talk about. For those who have never watched Friday the Thirteenth. Maybe you're maybe you're, you're you're just coming into the horror fandom. Maybe you're really young, and this is the first time you've been introduced to it. What is uh, Friday the Thirteenth, or do we have a synopsis we can provide to all of our dreadful listeners? Okay, so I will say this: there is nothing like amongst all of the new stuff that we have going on in our life. There is nothing better than coming back to podcasting with. A quintessential slasher. When I tell you I like slasher movies, this is the kind of shit I'm talking about. And we will get into all of that. Friday the 13th and all of those movies right out of the 80s. And even even Halloween, even though it wasn't in the 80s, it was two years shy. All of these. These are all like your quintessential slashers. So I, I'm just following up Chris's amazing rant with there is nothing better than coming back to all of this with a golden fucking oldie like the original friday the 13th from 1980 the grand return to both our podcast and you know and we're visiting or or visiting a horror staple that we have not tackled yet uh, on the show before so yeah so you're welcome dreadfuls you're welcome So the very short synopsis given to us by IMDb this episode is a group of camp counselors trying to reopen a summer camp called Crystal Lake, which has a grim past are stalked by a mysterious killer. Ooh, spooky. So, right, I've seen various Friday the 13th films, and I feel I've seen patches and clips. Of Jason Takes Manhattan? Of the original movie oh okay <laughs> yeah yeah and, and and like so i feel like this like this is like it's like watching the film for the first time again because i literally don't remember like when was the first time i've seen this film but like so it's coming i was very very coming i was coming into this with very fresh eyes and i feel like for you like you probably watch Friday the Thirteenth, like like once every year. Um, like, is that like how, what was your first exposure to this particular movie? I feel like, and this is, I'm, I feel like I'm speaking for our general generation. I feel like their experience with Friday the Thirteenth was what they saw on TV, which was undoubtedly Jason Takes Manhattan when we were growing up. Like, also osmosis through popular culture, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's all of that, like, newer bullshit. But I think even by Jason Takes Manhattan, I think Kane... Was Kane Hodder officially Jason at that point? Uh... Because he's only been Jason for, like, the last couple of movies. It hasn't been... You know, I should know this, because when I used to work at my previous job, uh, we had... A, or, or, I'm sorry, Amber, uh, or, you know, our horror friendo in arms, she couldn't make it today. 
and she's like the biggest uh, Friday the 13th fan ever. And, you know, literally the last episode preceding this was, you know, our last Scream episode. So she was on that. So shout out to Amber. We miss you. But uh, she scheduled and had an interview with Kane Hodder. Um, and if anyone's interested in that, we could post the interview in the show notes. It's really cool. So I, okay. So Kane Hodder has played Jason four times in the film series. One of them was Jason Takes Manhattan. Cool. Oh, and so he, he's, a, okay. He's appeared as Jason in Friday the 13th, part seven, the new blood, part eight, Jason Takes Manhattan, Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday. And, and Jason, Jason X. X. And Friday the 13th, the game, which I have not played yet, but I don't know if you have. Uh, I have. You have? Is it? No, not good. I wasn't impressed. Oh. Uh, but I would be willing to pick it back up again. Interesting. I just remember being like really not impressed the first time I played it. But again, like I, I'm always more than willing to give things a second chance. Depending most of the time, most of the time. Or, you know what we could do? We could just play Dead by Daylight and just install the, the Friday the 13th Jason mod where the killer is Jason. Yes, and, let's do both yeah. of those things. <laughs> let's, do that. let's do all that. Let's do both. Uh, I, think, I think another... So I know I said that uh, a lot of our generation's like introduction to Jason was probably Jason Takes Manhattan. However, if you ask anybody anything about Friday the 13th, if they've never seen the original, if they've never seen any other movie, I feel like the one kill that everyone knows from our generation who hasn't, like, grown up with, like, like any real exposure to these movies, they're going to say Jason X, and they're going to say the nitrous oxide scene because it is so good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not nitrous. It's not nitrous oxide. I don't know what it is. Liquid nitrogen. Liquid nitrogen. Thank you. Great yeah. kill. Great kill. Uh, All but, that but is right, to say. But right. Yes. That's Jason X. We're not doing Jason X. I know. I know. That's, that's, for, that's for five episodes from now. I know. I could talk about that trash heap all day. Because um, it was tr it was it was bad. Um, but <laughs> that. Okay. So that aside. I was introduced. Uh, when was I introduced to Friday the 13th? I don't know. Friday the 13th, I feel like, was one of those movies that I always sort of, like, felt like I've grown up just having seen for, like, ever and ever and ever. Like, I've always seen it. It just kind of bleeds together. Yeah, it really does. I will, I will say that the kills were fantastic, and I remember re-watching it at a, at an, when I was a little older, and having the wherewithal to because I was starting to get curious about how they did things in movies. So I had enough wherewithal to like Google how did they do this in this movie and how did they do this and whatever. And the biggest kill that had the biggest impact on me, and I'm hoping that you know where I'm going with this, is Kevin Bacon. Oh, yeah, the arrow through the throat. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was awesome. I love that. All done and all the special effects in this movie are done by none other then Tom fucking Savini. And oh my god, that man. <laughs> yeah, horror icon, horror legend. Uh, Savini was specifically hired to do special effects based on his work from Dawn of the Dead um, from 1978. And yeah, Savini's 
very talented. I, I feel like... If you haven't, please, please go watch Smoke and Mirrors. It was all about him and he and he sits there and he talks about his entire life and his career and like how he did all of these things. I mean, down from his military days to his stunt work to his professional makeup career. And I, it's... It, the man has had an incredible fucking life. Uh, wait, is... Tom Savini no longer with us, or is he? Oh my God! No, no, no! Oh, oh! The, the way, the way, the way you said that, I was like, oh, wait, did I miss something? Did Tom Savini pass away like a couple years ago? Like, oh my God! Okay. No, 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 no! The man is seventy-five years old, still fucking kicking it. Looks great for seventy-five. Like the genes that run in that family, that that, damn. Amazing. But. Yeah, he, I love listening to the way he talks about how he did the effect for Kevin Bacon. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but Kevin Bacon, it's, it's a prosthetic that is coming through his chest and Tom Savini is under the bed blowing the blood through a tube because the original effect malfunctioned. So oh he was my like, gosh. Or something, or something like that. And he like got, he was like under the bed blowing the blood through a tube. So that beautiful, like, I say beautiful because we're horror movie fans, but that beautiful like blood spurt that comes out of his neck after the arrow pierces it, that's Tom Savini. <laughs> that's him. That's him under the bed that's... blowing through a tube. That's amazing. I, 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 you know, like, stuff goes wrong all the time on sets. So, like, just, like, part of the genius is, like, you know, knowing how to do all this practical stuff. But, like, even more impressive, I feel like, is you put, a, you put so much time into this and work and stuff, something goes wrong, and then someone has, like, a really creative fix, and it somehow is better and it's like, that's amazing. I love that. I, I did not know that story. That's that's so cool. Watch Smoke and Mirrors. It's just the, the things that he came up with because he had to, I think, only make his career that much more illustrious. But also it goes to show you that the movies he worked on and like how not even just him, most special effects artists. The things that you like about them, the things when you watch a slasher movie where you're like, oh, that was a great kill or this or that, whatever. We're not fucking sickos. We're saying that because it, the effect was effective. Yeah, not only are they, like, te it's technically impressive, but a lot of these films are, like, you know, indie productions, low budget. You know, the, the budget for this film, um, I guess it, when you factor in inflation... It's quite a lot. It's like uh, 500, fi uh, $550,000. But at the box office, it made a return of $59.8 million. Uh, so, but it, it's still, like, I feel like, like at the time, probably considerably lesser than other horror movies. I mean, I think we've seen movies being made for even cheaper like evil dead or you know the famous story of robert rodriguez you know like like he made desperado like with for so so cheap or even like kevin smith and clerks but like uh you know i think i think for the the budget they had you know the the, the size of their crew and like i think like for the time where th this movie was produced like i think the just the practical effects alone is such a major achievement. Right, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but like so this movie, well like the the entire impetus of Friday the 13th, it's not 
I don't want to say a clone of Halloween, but they basically took like so. So Halloween came out in 1978, and like it, it, it was the the gateway film for people being like, "Oh my gosh, horror is marketable again." People are obviously interested, and there's gonna be there's like so many studios, you know, trying to you know cash in or you know on the hype. And Friday the 13th was very much prompted by the success of Halloween. But I don't remember Halloween 1978 having as technically impressive stuff as in Friday the 13th. Like, I, no, I don't. I don't. I think you're right. I don't think it was necessarily as uh, um, practically uh, effect, uh, pra- practically impressive, but they were going about it differently. So with Michael Myers, Michael Myers is the boogeyman. He wanted to be brutal and effective. He's an ongoing, like, killing machine that just doesn't stop unless you do it for him. So it's not it's it's not necessarily about making these deaths grisly. The deaths in Friday the 13th are grisly because there is a lot of, as you find out, there is a lot of, especially in the first one, there is a lot of rage and, and anger behind all of it. And that's why they're all, a lot of them are incredibly brutal. There is a guy with a bunch of bows and arrows stuck to the back of a fucking door. Yeah, and and, and, and like I think I think the the tone or like the I, I think the objective for Friday the Thirteenth is a little bit different. It's thrills and chills, uh, kills and, and 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 like sex on on the screen, which uh, you know uh, whether it's for shock value or as a reaction a reaction to like the Reagan era po- political so, uh, societal mores of sexuality and like teenage youth at the time maybe it's like a counter reaction to it who knows maybe that's overthinking it but you know the the context of the, the the subtext is there but you know it was definitely more like a roller coaster ride where like it's about kill count making it a grizzly it pioneered the the schlock and exploitation uh, of like the the this new modern horror that we're seeing in the 80s and it just propelled it uh, and you see a lot more of those tropes factor into the series and and into the horror genre as well. So I would say like Halloween really opened the door to the mainstream public being interested in horror again. Uh, but I would say Friday the 13th kicked down the door and really paved the way for like the schlock factor we associate with so many of like the 80s, 80s horror scene. And all the newer films are trying to re- replicate and emulate that same feel. 100%. Absolutely 100%. We've sort of jumped ahead. You start. We started with what was my first experience of Friday the 13th. And now we're talking about Tom Savini, which is my fault. I just, I can't, I can't not. When you talk about Friday the 13th, you can't, you can't not talk about him. And all of his shenanigans and his brilliant mind. Um, but let's go back and I'm going to throw the question back at you. Yeah. Do you like have a, do you have a specific memory of having like your first, uh, time, your first experience watching Friday the 13th? Uh, I honestly, like, I, I kind of mentioned at the top of the show. I honestly don't like, I, I think, I think it, so my, my exposure to the franchise was, I, I think it's kind of like a similar trajectory to like Scream where it's been so sprinkled and dispersed over pop culture um so like my kind of relationship with it was kind of like predisposed because i've 
you you see it memed and referenced in so many other movies or in like even cartoons um i think there was this one i think there was, i i, I want to say it was like an episode of animaniacs where like they were spoofing like jason Voorhees showing up in one episode and like when you when jason Voorhees shows up in an episode of animaniacs can you really be that afraid of it <laughs> i don't know and obviously it, like a friday 13th movies were you know on reruns um on cable television but i honestly cannot remember or say when was the first time i've seen the, this original film and it's been a incredibly long time so i feel like i've been i seen this film for like really fresh new eyes and i appreciated that because like i i noticed like visually speaking like you know practical effects aside it's dated like the fashion's dated and like like even the look is dated but i don't mean that in a bad way i think it's it it, it, it acts as like a time capsule for how movies were at the time and especially there wasn't anything like friday the 13th I mean, you could, I mean, obviously Halloween came out the two years before, but like, I think Friday the 13th pushed the envelope even further. So in that respect, it was very novel and new and fresh and exciting. And um, I could not stop myself from laughing and smiling because like, you know, we were talking just like beginning scenes where um, the can capsulers in the 50s or the 1950s, they're... At one point, they're singing Kumbaya, and then a couple gets away to, like, start making out. And all, throughout the back of my mind, all I could think about was... Scream, and yeah. the rules don't go, ha- don't have sex or you die. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, then, like, like, from Scream, and him explaining, like, the final girl rule. And it's like, oh my gosh. And, like, how noticing all these landmark tropes that we take for granted now, like, you're seeing on the first time on the screen at Friday the 13th. So I... I... Even though I don't remember its origins, I found it very enlightening to be like a sort of like cultural artifact, like this, like this sort of archaeological piece that you can trace the genetic lineage of like horror cinema from the '80s onwards. And I, I really, uh, it was a real, it was a really nice, really interesting ride to go through. And of course, the kills were inter- entertaining. And uh, we'll get to it, but like you know, mother, talk about Mother's Day. I my other hot take. I think Mrs. Voorhees, played by the amazing Betsy Palmer, is a much more interesting villain than Jason. Amber's gonna kill me for that, but that's that's my <laughs> that's my take on it. It was such a good reveal, and again, like I love that that scream sort of pokes fun at it. Betsy Palmer did an amazing fucking job from that fisherman sweater to her completely like shattered psyche from her from like losing her son. Although that's sort of ambiguous at the end, basically losing her mind over her son to like her talking as Jason, like, like kill him, mommy, kill him. (laughs) Right. Like there, she just, there was something about so commanding about watching her on the stage, on the stage, on the screen. And it's not like she was like a young, like a, a young female killer. And it's not like now I'm throwing some shade at Scream because I don't want to get into it. It's not like this generation. Gen, Gen Z influencer Scream killer. Right. Yeah. It is an older woman who came out of a place of like rage and grief 
which explains like from a psychology like from a psychology perspective it explains all the overkill and the her brutality i think is what makes this so impactful she was completely brutal and it was fantastic <laughs> I, I find it interesting of of that freudian slip of you saying stage instead of screen because like Betsy Paul or uh, Betsy, she I think she she has like a lot of classical training, and, and it's really great because like it, like you see this come up like during the the during the the production where I think there was one anecdote where she was trying to teach one of the actresses. I think it was the actress playing Alice. They were trying to like act out a scene where Mrs. Voorhees was slapping Alice, and during production. Uh, Betsy actually slaps the other actress. I have a quote. Quote, I said to Adrian that night, why don't we rehearse the scene? I have to slap you. Because on stage, when you slap somebody, you slap them. And she actually slaps Adrian King. King starts crying. Quote, she collapsed to the floor crying. Sean Cunningham's, she hit me. I said, well, of course I hit her. We were, we were rehearsing the scene. He said, no, 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 Betsy. We don't hit people in movies. We miss them. And I find that so funny because, like, you know, it's like she she's coming from this different pedigree. I know also she clearly wasn't interested in the role because she thought it was like been, it was like too bloody or too trashy. But she accepted the role because she because she needed. You were about to say it was too beneath her. I heard. Yeah, that. she she was like she. She turned she she turned her nose down the role when she was off, when it was offered to her, but she accepted it because she needed the money to buy a new car. <laughs> it's like, what? Well, you gotta eat and you gotta you know you gotta pay the bills. Um, but that's but the segue into that, like I think that theater training really really helped her sell the visceral rawness and like the unsettled, like visage that is mrs Voorhees, like it's so stark and it's like one of the coolest reveals and twists because like the movie is very very purposeful and like making it like a sort of a whodunit kind of story because a lot of the film the killers from the pov's vision you see people like looking confused or certain people are, are recognizing the the, the quote-unquote killer but then, then they're immediately killed. And they also set up MacGuffins, like the role of Crazy Ralph. So you're trying to think... Well, I know the, the directors and the studios' objective of, it, of introducing Ralph with the story was to make him like a sort of, oh, is he or is he not? Is like a sort of red herring for, for the killer. So I feel like you... Especially if you've never seen this before, or maybe back in 1980, you know, seeing Mrs. Voorhees, like... Especially the type of character... That she plays like it's a older older woman. She doesn't look intimidating at first, but then she pulls out an axe and she has this crazy look in her eyes, like oh shit, you should watch out for her. And she has this very very amazing analytical approach to, to developing the character. Like she basically used something called the, Stel the Stanislavski method, yeah. method to acting. Then she creates this entire motivation and backstory. For how she is, how she is, and how why she's so vengeful, and I found like reading her treatise on her character treatise for Mrs. Voorhees, I was like, this is a super smart lady, and this movie is so 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 much better, and it's so good as it is for her being in the movie, and I think a lot of that has to do with her classical training. Oh no, I I completely agree. 
I completely agree. I, I think that slasher movies get a lot of flack and so do fans of slasher movies. And don't get me wrong, there are a lot of poorly done ones. There are a lot of movies that have a lot of gore. I think when we talk about slasher movies and we talk about the classics and we talk about the movies that sort of made made the genre, gave, no, paved the way for the genre to get to where it is today. This is the movie we're talking about. You're talking about Friday the 13th. There's a reason why there's a group of them that sort of like kickstarted all of this. Like jumping off of that, what was the most impactful thing about this movie? Betsy Palmer. Betsy Palmer, yeah. But watching her on screen, knowing that that's, that she was the villain, those last 20 minutes are everything in that movie. And don't get me wrong, everything else before that, like building up the tension that they're getting knocked off one by one. Also, let's not forget that this entire movie takes over takes place over the course of 24 hours. All the incredible and brutal kills aside, those last 20 minutes of the movie, between the reveal that it's her to that iconic fucking ending that paved the way for the rest of the series that came after that. I, yeah. I, I have a big question. I have a big answer, hopefully. The, the, <laughs> we're jumping around a lot, but like the ending. So there, there, I would say there's actually two endings. So there's one ending where Alice gets into the canoe. She gets to the middle of the lake. Um, she wakes up. Oh, you mean the fake ending? Yeah, the fake ending. We're like, okay. like Jason comes out of the water and grabs her and that, freeze frames. Hold on, hold on. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. You, paint, paint the picture though. This, this is why it was so. This is why that fake ending was so good, because she's out in the middle of this serene lake. It's calm. It's quiet. The music feels very final and calming and everything feels like it's at a point. You think the movie is over and she's all alone and then the cops pull in and you're like, oh, wow, like that's it. It's over. We're, we, you can breathe. And the minute that she looks up because she sees the cops are there, you release that breath. That's when Jason comes out of the water. It's like they knew exactly what they were doing. And that, I think, sort of takes a page out of out of Halloween in terms of building that tension. Because it wasn't supposed to be tension-filled, but now you're on edge for the last ten minutes, of the, for the last five minutes of the movie, instead of just sitting there. <laughs> cool, calm, and collected. They, they gave you that shot of that beautiful lake, that quote-unquote crystal clear lake. And, yeah, Jason pops the fuck out of the water, and then it cuts to something else. The movie's not over. Oh, so, I, so I, I'm of, I'm up of two minds. Like, I love, I love that ending. I think, oh, I was reading some trivia. God, I don't remember. There was like a rich, there was like one of the original endings was that Alice just escapes into the boat. And oh, this is Miller. M Miller's, Miller's final draft. Uh, originally, Jason did not appear at the end of the film 
uh, in the in the original script. And in Miller's final draft, the film ended with Alice just floating onto the lake. And that's it. But it was actually Tom Savini who suggested to do a cliffhanger ending um, to have like Jason pop out of the water. And you know, obviously he did the practical effects for that. But I know Savini was quoted saying he had seen the end of Carrie um, and he wanted to emulate like a like a jump scare at the end of the movie, you know, what, right when you're least expecting it at the time. Because, uh, um, and uh, you know, obviously the scenery you just explained, like the sereneness and the calmness of the wilderness, so, like that lulls, lulls you into a false sense of security. But it was totally Savini's idea to be like, let's bring in Jason at the end of the film, which is this, the right call. But I think it should have ended with that. I I think her Alice waking it up and in the hospital and questioning or like you know like the doctors are saying, oh, it was, was it, it was all just a dream, and Alice being not so sure if it's a dream or it being real. I think that really undercuts the shock value and like the cliffhanger potential that it had with Jason. I think I did. I thought maybe it's just me me being inundated to oh it was it was just all just a dream the deus ex machina kind of ending for you see over and over again i think it would have been a much more effective ending a much more powerful ending if it ended just jason coming out of the water and dragging her into into the uh, dragging her to the lake cut the credits black really i think that would have been an amazing strong ending I think I honestly think really you didn't like you didn't like the the vagueness of the ending with with over the where they take you back over the lake. I I like think that. it under for me personally I think it undercut like that final shock valley that final sense of dread that I think the end like obviously Savini wanted the the viewer at the end of the film to feel unsettled and not safe. Uh, when the credits rolled. I, f- I still feel a little unsettled when I watch the end of that movie because they gave you they gave you two endings. So they gave you Jason coming out of the water and he and the co- and the doctor even the cops even say to her, "We pulled you out by yourself. There was nobody else there." And she and she even says to them, "Oh my god, then he's still out there." And yes, they do that like cheesy looking away from the doctors, looking into the camera, like sort of glossy eyed. But then they take you back to Camp Crystal Lake, and the water is still really still, but you see a couple of bubbles. Mm. I get, I get, I guess it's, I, <laughs> I guess it's all up to interpretation. I took it, I took it as like, oh, they undercut it, which which is what they did in two thousand nine, the remake, where the end is explicitly Jason popping out of the lake, and. Does it end there? What I wanted in the original, they did in the 2009 ending, where... Was it satisfying? Yes. I I liked it. Really? I liked it, but my feelings on the movie in general for the 2009, it's a little bit muddled, and like I obviously like this version a lot more, but I, I really... So you want the nineteen eighty movie with the two thousand nine ending? That's kind of my. That's kind of my. I mean, obviously, I'm not. Sh- I, I I'm not shitting on it. Like I know, or maybe I am. I think you are a little, but that's okay. You know, at me, at me in the comments. Uh, I mean, I I'm not. I'm not a filmmaker. I'm just. I I can only speak from my personal truth. I really. I would really. I I actually really enjoy the ending where like the the two final people 
killed, well, quote unquote, kill Jason. They drop his body to this lake and they drop his mask into the lake. And at the end, Jason just like a motherfucker from the grave, just comes out of the pier and grab like or bu- literally busts through the pier and grabs the final girl and drags into the lake and then it cuts the credits it's like yes that's the ending i want awesome this movie 198 the 1980 version i love it it's perfect i it, it is by far like the better of the two i, I watched the original the 2009 it is by far way better than the remake and I don't know, but that's just my take. I mean, I've, and it, I would be very curious to hear what everyone else thinks about the ending. Like, did you like the vagueness? Did you want my ending? Did you, or uh, were you frustrated or not frustrated? I mean, I think that's also part of the, the fun of the dialogue. It's like, I, I also get, it's great to keep the ending vague. It's like, oh, is Jason alive? Is Jason dead? Was it all a dream? You know, there's fun in that debate. Well, that's, yeah, but that's the whole point of the bubbles at the end of of the original. When they take you back over the lake and you see the little bubbles, that's that's exactly the ambiguity that you're talking about. It's, is he alive? Was that all in her head? Um, where's the fucking kid? Has he been at the camp this whole time? Has he been under the water this whole time? It leaves you with a million and a half questions that you sort of like, and then that sort of sets the scene for the rest of the series. Like my husband, Tom, we've been over this before, hates horror movies, does not like them. He came home while I was watching Friday the 13th and he goes, what's the lore? He goes, I don't understand because he's watching the reveal of Mrs. Voorhees being the killer. And he's like, so where does the lore come in? I don't understand. I was like, just watch and your questions will be answered. And he sits there and he watches the rest of the movie and he goes, oh, okay. (laughs) Again, not a big fan of horror movies. Like he wasn't like, oh my God, it's so great. Because he could not, let's be real, he couldn't give two shits. But that that's sort of where where it is now he sort of ignored the rest of it like he watched when jason came out of the lake and i was like up oh, there you go and he was like okay uh, <laughs> very anticlimactic for him but for me i was like sitting there on the edge of the couch i find it interesting you talk about lore because i think like the story the story of friday the 13th jason has been dead and brought back to life too many times yeah yeah well well, well just just like if we're treating Friday the 13th as like a bottle episode, like the story is very light and simple. It's like, you know, it's just a bunch of camp counselors. That get killed over 24 hours. Though. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, so the, the lore, I, I like how they, at, at the beginning, they do take effort to provide exposition and to provide some context. And it, like they do it in a form of like, urban legend and like like you know like everyone this town is haunted by the ghost of or the specter of death of this this one urban legend you know where someone someone died or someone got someone drowned in the lake and ever since that lake accident happened you know there's been a, a bunch of unexplained disappearance and deaths uh, and people, all the townsfolk are superstitious. They're distrustful of outsiders who, like, they. It, it feels like a sort of like xenophobic kind of thing. Where like, oh, crazy outsiders, crazy teens. Um, you know, you all causing trouble. You're, you're gonna. You're, and you're, 
you're gonna die. Uh, and there's a sort of like meta narrative about sexuality and teenage youth and rebellion and 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 the horror mo- the slasher being and and the kills being a sort of like reactionary punishment. Like again, going back to Scream, the 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 rules, the rules of horror movies. Um, and I find that really interesting. And and you see that formula formula really entrench and grow and you see this over and over again i feel like friday the 13th was really instrumental in setting up those original rules and uh one of the many great reasons why it's still beloved today oh yeah definitely so right i i know i know we have to get you out soon because you're gonna see dr strange (laughs) in the multiverse of madness tonight because i'm insane but yes (laughs) it's okay no it's so good but, you know, next time, you know, maybe we'll have Amber on and we'll have, we'll have like a three hour episode just talking about Friday the 13th. I, well, yeah, I want to, you know, I love, I love to pick her brain, but I love it more when you like vehement, vehemently like disagree with something that yes. she loves. Those hot takes. Let's go. <laughs> I love those hot takes. I love, no, I love. Uh, do you have any hot takes or final thoughts? I think that Friday the 13th has some of the most creative and funny kills of a serial killer for of a well yeah we can call him a serial killer of a slasher franchise don't get me wrong you know chucky's my boy and i think some of those kills are also extremely creative and borderline hilarious but i think jason has some of the most ridiculous ones (laughs) true facts which just like make the make the movie into like entertaining and fun to watch as it progresses like the first couple i think like the first i'll say the first three or four i think are the ones where there is a very real horror element to all of them and a very and it carries on that slasher part of it but then it gets to a point where it just gets fucking ridiculous yeah yeah um you know from horror to horror comedy yeah i think apart from Jason in space, otherwise known as Jason X. One of my favorite kills from the franchise is from, it's a Kane Hodder kill. So I think it's from the sixth one. Um, (laughs) There's a camp counselor inside a sleeping bag and he picks up the sleeping bag and whacks her against a tree. And that's how he kills her. Oh, interesting. I I feel like they they did a call back to that in 2009. They, They take one of the girls... And she's tied up in a sleeping bag, and then she's strung up over a tree, over a bonfire, and she burns to death, and trapped inside a sleeping bag. Oh, yeah, that could be an homage. Yeah, this is literally, he just, like, picks up the sleeping bag and just, like, whacks it against the tree. Oh, <laughs> yes, amazing. Ridiculous, but efficient. Uh, yeah, if you're, if you're here for the schlock. Um, I think, like, I think my final thoughts, uh, for this particular movie and again, being for Mother's Day, I think, um, again, obviously it, I think Mrs. Voorhees is one of the most interesting, like third act villain reveals, uh, in a horror movie ever. Oh yeah. Her as a character and her as, or her actress and performance. And I, I want to leave off with this, uh, interesting quote where, um, Miller, or um, Victor Miller, who's the the writer of the script, uh, he wanted to create a killer or serial killer who happened to be somebody's mother, someone who loves her child so much she will she will literally kill for them. And this is what he had to say: uh, "Quote, 
uh, I took I took motherhood and turned it on its head, and I think it, it was great fun. Mrs. Voorhees was the mother I had always wanted, a mother who would have killed for her kids, end quote. So happy Mother's Day <laughs> to everyone, uh, especially... Especially Mrs. Voorhees. Pamela Voorhees, you're, you're the greatest mom ever. <laughs> Happy fucking Mother's Day. <laughs> okay. Uh, final, final ratings, final thoughts. This kicked off a like 10 movie franchise. So how are we feeling? I, I don't know what the schedule is, but we'll definitely bring on Amber. And we'll definitely, definitely review the rest of the Friday 13th film. So don't you worry. I'm going to start this movie out strong. I'm going to give it out of five. I don't remember. It's been so long. I don't remember a rating system, but I'm going to give it. We never, we never really settled on one. It was just sort of how we were feeling in the moment, I think. But I don't remember if it was at five or a 10. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm going with five. I'm going to give it five out of five camp cat, dead camp counselors. That's what I'm going to get. Five, five out of five dead camp counselors. I'm, I, I'll, I'll give it six out of five machetes. Oh, hell yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, oh, that's the other thing. So I think, I, just like real quick before we go, I think it's hilarious that Jason has sort of become synonymous with the hockey mask because it is iconic. Mm-hmm. Although every hockey mask is different throughout all movies. It's so sort of, like, it's never consistent. It never, like, ages with him the way the mask ages with Michael. It's just, like, whatever he found lying around, which I thought was so funny. <laughs> the only thing that is sort of... Con- the mask is never consistent, but the stuff that is done to his face is consistent. So I, I think Tom Savini came back to do makeup later on in one of the later movies, and he, like, went back and watched the other ones to see, like, where he had been stabbed in the eye and, like, cut in the head oh, and, like, made those Continuity, I like it, yeah. For continuity, which I love. But, like, the hockey mask, I'm pretty sure, is always different, which always has bothered me. It's like he couldn't he couldn't keep the one that he had, so he, like, found another one. I, I wonder, like, with how, like, how... But like you never, you never, you never see any, there's no outfit, there's no nothing. And that's why I love the first one. Yeah, it's just, uh. It's her perspective. I mean, we, we see, we, we see enough or Savini reveals enough. Like Jason's real face is like disfigured and maybe it's like an actual physical deformity. Maybe, maybe he was scarred traumatically as a child. We don't know, but like he, he looks like a monster um, and, uh, yeah, but I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Jason has a bunch of backup masks. Who knows? I don't know. I feel like he just like strolled into like a peewee hockey game and just like took a hockey mask. I don't know. <laughs> yoink, yoink. <laughs> this is my now uh, die. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I do really want to talk about the rest of these movies with Amber so bad. Well, Amber, uh, well, Amber will be back. Don't you worry. Rye, we got to end the show. You got to see the multiverse. We got to go. (laughs) Okay. On that note, thank you for listening to another episode. Now that we're back of Left for Dread, our amazing new cover art is by Liz Van Hootie. Um, Our intro and outro music is from Pandemic Sound. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Everything helps. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify every other Friday. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Left 4 Dread Pod. 
uh, Facebook and our website, liftfordread.com. And finally, 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 don't forget to check out our brand new merch store at tpublic.com. The link will be in our bio and in the show notes. Amazing. Uh, so, so thank you for joining us on this wonderful new journey. We're embarking into all 20 million Friday the 13th films. And uh, I hope everyone has a very happy Mother's Day with Pamela Voorhees or, or, or Mrs. Bates or whoever. And, uh, kill him, mommy. Kill him, mommy. Kill him. Kill him, uh, mommy. And, <laughs> and don't forget, stay dreadful. Stay dreadful.